Humans, like many animals, go through a familiar generational cycle. Your parents made you and their parents made them. But when you look closer, so close you can see the tiny things floating in the sea, things start to get much more complicated. What if your parents were sort of your siblings and your grandma was sort of your car? That's what would happen if you were a Dalyalida, drifting through life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube or Spotify. I think I started by saying thank you to Cassie for the use of our theme song. But now I'm thanking her for the creation of it. I'm just glad it's in the world. I don't remember you ever thanking her for the use of the film. Oh, maybe it's always the creation then. Uh, and thank you to Johanna for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can follow us at our home of the web at ldtaxonomy.com. And a very special thank you to our patrons, to Jesse Raspolich, Carol Raspolich, and Richard Kaspar. Thank you so much for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for helping us keep the lights on. And today we're talking about a tiny barrel in the sea, but more on that later. Yeah, one carrying Orlando Bloom on it to go betray all of his pirate friends to Lord Cutler Beckett. Or Monkey D. Luffy. Oh. I d- <laughs> I'm, I'm appalled that I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but only because it's in the public zeitgeist right now. This one That's why piece. I said it. Um, yeah, we're c- talking about the Doliolida. Doliolida. Dolly Parton. That's what we'll call it. Dolly Parton. Where it's also known as a sea squirt um, and other members of the fi- uh, subphylum are known as tunicates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to call it here Barrel Rider because I'm in a Lord of the Rings mood. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a Dolly holiday with Mary. <laughs> That's good. No wonder that it's Mary that we love. Um, man, can you believe Dick Van Dyke is like turning a hundred and fifty years old? <laughs> Crazy! I, you're not gonna believe this. I can't believe that. <laughs> oh well, I don't know. Look it up. Um, let's taxonomize this guy. Uh, and I'm gonna have a little aside here. So it's in the kingdom you know, love, and are in a kingdom's animalia, but the phylum is Chordata. Okay, this, as we'll discover later, is plankton that we're talking about. The Dolliolida is a piece of plankton. Mm-hmm. It's still an animal. But why is Zoa it in the phylum Chordata? I don't know. I did. This is news to me. Now, we have always said, whatever we say, not, not always, but very frequently when we say it's in the phylum Chordata because it has a spine. We're gonna we're gonna need to do a little bit of clarification here because we are definitely talking about something that's in the phylum Chordata that does not have a spine. Um, we are two episodes away from episode three hundred, 
and we are just now going to explain what makes up the phylum chordata. <laughs> the most common, I think probably the most common one on this show, with arthropoda mm-hmm. obviously being the second most common, and then mollusca probably being third. Um, but uh, it's an easy mnemonic device to say that, you know, it's chordata, cord, spinal cord, has a spine. It's actually only members of the subphylum vertebrate that have that have to have spines in order to be a part of the the club. So uh, you can still be an invertebrate and be in chordata. Technically, to be in chordata, you have to have, at some point in your life cycle, five things. A notochord, a hollow nerve cord, a thyroid, a pharyngeal a pharyngeal uh, feeding slits, or just pharyngeals. Um, sorry, just they're just called pharyngeal slits. Sometimes they're used for filter feeding, um, and then at least a tail bud. Uh, so, I I saw that and I was like, Do humans fit any of these descriptions? <laughs> Do I have a pharyngeal slit? Yes, we do. We do have uh, slits in our our pharynx. Is that a mouth? Oh, it's in the pharynx. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, at no, so that means at no point do you actually need to have uh, either cartilage or bone. Uh, uh, ver- vertebrae. Vertebrae. Um, to be in chordata, you do in order to be in the subphylum vertebrata so there's a little taxonomy information for you out there and why we're about to talk about uh a little piece of candy in the ocean as of, <laughs> in, in, in chordata um because this one is in this not in the subphylum vertebrata the subphylum is tunicata um which is like sea squirts and plankton and stuff like that um the class is uh thaliacid ca Thaliaceae. Yeah. The order is Doliolida. <laughs> Goodness gracious, I'm dying here. Doliolida. Uh, the family is Doliolidae. Oh, gosh. It's a Doliolidae. Um, <laughs> the genus is Doliolum. And the species is Denticulatum. Doliolum denticulatum is the binomial nomenclature, which brings me to my favorite part of the show, I, I guess now, nitty-gritty nomenclature, part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question, what is the binomial nomenclature's translation into English? Doliolum denticulatum. What does it mean? Does it mean A, plant with no teeth? B, small-toothed cast. Sorry, small-toothed cask. C, spinning tooth. Or D, large swarming teeth. Plant? Doliolum denticulatum. Oh, boy. Let's do spinning teeth. But I don't know, man. I, I didn't know these had teeth. I guess they have like kind of uh, ridges, like it looks kind of like a, a, a 
bow tie pasta on the end. That's exactly what it looks like. like. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm going to go spinning teeth. Final answer. The answer is small tooth cask. Okay, okay. That's acceptable. So it's, like, it's a barrel with little teeth. Cask. Yes. At yes. first when I said cast by accident, I meant to say cask. I did correct myself, but yes, a cask. Like a Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I should have gone with that one. Yeah. That's a rough so, one. Because that that one if I thought about it for ten seconds more, I w that would have that would have been the better choice. Yeah, do doliola means like yeah, like a barrel or a cask, and that is the that that word the root of that is in the order phylum and genus of this uh dolly holiday doc holiday it's <laughs> your huckleberry <laughs> um but yeah and then i i knew you i couldn't pass anything other than having to do something having to do with teeth by you for denticulatum but this does sound like a harry potter spell that like turns all your teeth into like Venus flytraps or something like that. Horrible. Horrible. Doliolum denticulatum. And now you have to go to the hospital wing. <laughs> you want to talk about what this looks like? Sure. Well, you've already kind of hit the nail on the head with the bow tie pasta. Um, I was trying to find the 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 name for those um, those circular red and white striped mints. They're like they're starlight mints. But I was thinking of the ones that are in. Um, like two pieces of plastic, like a plastic bag almost, instead of the ones that are like twist twisted together. But um, yeah, it's it's this is one of the least animal like things we've covered, and I mean, and that's because it's plankton. Um, it is a, it looks like a cell more than anything else. It is translucent. Uh, it has it, you can see its organs floating around. Uh, it's shaped kind of like a like a pillow. Um. With mm -hmm. uh, openings on either end and uh, what I believe is called stigmata on either side. So it's just been marked by the Holy Ghost or I don't know yeah. what, the, what the some cult stuff. Um, uh, no, it's uh, that's the the stuff at the end, which I, I guess is uh, um, what the Latin... Uh, taxonomist called teeth because it does not have like bones bone teeth um, but I guess you can say like oh it looks it's got a mouth and it's got another mouth it's like a worm so it's those are teeth um, but yeah little ridges around the edges like lace frills um, it has is lined with eight or nine bands that go start at one end one opening and go all the way down and evenly spaced um they go wrap all the way around the animal and they act as muscles which allow it to expand and contract that uh, let it eat and move um it has a dna helix organ looking thing um that kind of spreads throughout its body those function as gills they're uh, uh brachial apertures um, you can also see its stomach, its nerves, uh, and its basic sensory organs. All clear as day because its skin is is clear. Um, it's so clear that researchers have a tough time finding it. 
Yeah, it's also really little. It's 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 very very small. Um, it is plankton. I I, I want to stress this. <laughs> um, that is plankton. And w- while this that is the best character in SpongeBob, um, he is the biggest plankton ever in the show. <laughs> he's massive, uh, and even though he's like the size of a mouse. Um, a mouse-sized plankton is something to be feared indeed. But how big is this one in particular, Joe? Okay, welcome to the Love Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show, the part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an uh, audio of yourself saying, singing, or passing the words measure up into and out of your barrel. Ugh. Send that into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We don't Clean it have first, though. A new measure up intro this week. Uh, so we're going to hear from a plankton, and you already know who it is. <laughs> there's, only, there's only one one plankton in fiction. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. This is a game of kickball on the playground? You never had a chance to defeat me, fool! And you know why? Because you cheated? No, not because I cheated. <laughs> I. Oh, I yeah, he's the best. Oh, uh, it might. Hold on. Because I'm an evil genius. Okay, that's it. Because he was an evil that's genius. He, what the the the. The scenes where he's just screaming at the top of his lungs is that that voice actor gave it his all, and I love it. Who who is that? Is that I don't know what his name is. He plays some other like Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon characters, but I typed in Plankton on an episode about Plankton, and I did not re- expect to not get the cartoon character. I got actual Plankton. <laughs> uh, Doug Lawrence. Fascinating. Voiced by one of the show's staff writers, Doug Lawrence, who's always credited as Mr. Lawrence. Wow, he was a staff writer and he just nailed this character. Well he done. Just, he got so angry one day and they're like, you know what? You can be in the show, Doug. <laughs> uh, let's talk length. They're bigger than you'd think. I learned about these in my foray into microbiology. And they're pretty macro for micro. So they're one to two millimeters long. I also saw some reports of eight millimeters long. So we're going to go with two millimeters. I have a sneaking suspicion that the eight millimeters is a particular part of their life. But what we're going to talk about, the two millimeters, that's what we're going with. Two millimeters. Might as well be a mile in, in the microbiome. Yeah. Uh, Your whole life within two millimeters. True. How many Dollyoi? Oh my gosh. It's such an easy phonetic word to say. But every time I I try to say oil, but it's not oil, it's backwards oil. Dolly Olida. How many Dolly Olida go into the barrel length (laughs) of the M1903 Springfield rifle? Barrel lengths again. I mean, this yeah, because we're the, we have to. We're talking about a barrel. This is as appropriate as it gets, I suppose. Here's a hint: 
The rifle was developed by the U.S. for the Philippine-American War, but became standard issue in World War I for infantrymen. 26 inches. But I don't know how many millimeters that is. What is the mil- What is a millimeter to an inch? <laughs> like a million? I don't know. <laughs> it's not a million because millimeters are marked on rulers. Uh, 0.07. Almost 0.08. Two millimeters. 0.07. Three hundred and seventy-one. Final answer? Yes. The correct answer is 305. The barrel length was 24 inches. Or ah, it's a victory. Millimeters. There you go. Ah, victory. You do know barrel lengths. I just know that's a pretty standard rifle barrel length. So, yeah. So let's talk living depth. They only live around 100 meters or 328 feet. Only is a strong word for that deep, yeah, but yeah. it goes deeper. It goes deeper. So, how many Daliolida living depths go into the length of the Western Front? I'm guessing World War One again. Uh, yeah, here's a hint. In World War One, the Western Front was a stretch of land through Belgium and France from the Swiss border to the North Sea. I heard it's pretty quiet over there. All's quiet. That's helpful, though. Swiss border to the North Sea. Not super helpful, actually. I don't really know how... <laughs> How long that is. We're going to go with. uh... Well, we know like based on like fun facts that you hear about comparing Europe to America, uh, all of Europe can fit in Florida. So. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Run that one by me again. I used to have a, a. Um, world map with an eye shot but I took it down for something I need to put it back up so that I can answer these kinds of questions a little bit with a little bit more to go on um, there's a website where you can like drag um, like states and countries to other parts of the map to, to compare and it'll show you how like on a flat map the size of stuff changes and it's hard to tell greenland always looks huge but it's small oh yeah yeah um you said 100 meters how many feet was that uh 328 is my answer 6400 living depths for the daliolida what did you guess for the, the front? Of the Western Front, uh, I guess four hundred miles. The correct answer is sixty-four hundred and thirty-nine depths. That is exactly what I. I just I, whenever I get like a number, I just round round it to the nearest thing. But I have six hundred forty-nine on my. Sorry, sixty-four hundred and thirty-nine 
on my calculator now, right now. Technically, the front was over 400 miles, but uh, yeah, 400 miles. That's what everyone thinks. 400. Of I guess it exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got an A plus on this episode. That is that is incredible. No, I got an 82, and then I got a 100. So that. Oh, that's right. You can be a nurse though, and that's what's important. Well, let me. Your average. I got a 91. That's, that's 91's pretty good. That is pretty good. That is definitely nursing school victory. That's the that's wow! I can't believe it. 400 miles exactly, or I guess <laughs> over it. But that's all right. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. tell me I don't know European, Western European geography. I apparently know it like the back of my hand. <laughs> all righty. So that's all I got for that. Do you have any fast facts before we get into the major fact? I do. So this uh, uh, guy, we'll call it, I, I guess, lives all over the tropics. Um, and when I think of the tropics, I think I live in the tropics. But I don't. We don't live in the tropics. You and I. We live in the, the subtropics. Yeah, the tropics are the latitudes around the equator. Do, do you know where the what countries the equator goes through? Like just off the top of your head. Ecuador. Yeah, that's pretty good. That makes sense. <laughs> I guess <laughs> it goes through like Colombia. Uh, which is way further south than I think of the equator. I, I, I always think of, because it's so hot in Florida, I always think of the equator as like being in the Caribbean, going through Mexico, but that's not the case. Uh, the tr- but the, So the tropics go both north and south of the equator. So that's like from uh, Bolivia... Uh, in the south to Mexico in the north. That's the or Egypt to Mozambique. Like that's the whole um, swath for the tropics. Um, but we live in the middle latitudes, which on um, from the north are from Mexico to Alaska uh, on the western hemisphere, and Egypt and Norway in the um, in the eastern hemisphere, and then Argentina to Antarctica in the south. So there's like almost everybody in the world lives in the northern middle latitude <laughs> because it's uh, nice to live there <laughs> yeah and there's just not a lot of landmass in the southern hemisphere it's like argentina chile and south africa and then we're almost, australia and that's it i isn't cuba in the tropics so we're pretty close to the tropics uh yeah we would be uh the yeah cuba would be in the tropics. I think parts of it at least. It goes up to Mexico, but it doesn't hit Florida. Uh, so none of so the entire United States is in the the middle latitudes. But um, it's also interesting that the poorest countries on Earth are find themselves in the tropics. But um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, the whole zones, latitudinal zones of the Earth. But we're talking about the tropics. Um, although, uh, this particular species, the den- denticulatum, uh, has been found as north as Northern California, which is chilly waters hmm. for this, uh, little ravioli. 
Um, they are filter feeders. They catch ocean detritus as they move around. Um, they and they move around uh, by ha because they have little hairs called cilia on the insides of their bodies that move water through. Uh, but they can also expand and contract the muscle bands on their bodies in order to uh, use jet propulsion. They can uh, squirt around. They're little. They're sea squirts. It's what they're called. Um, but they can do that like um, like squid or Michael Phelps. I guess he can do that. That's what helps him. Um, they are eaten by other larger zooplankton and small crustaceans. I mean, they're again, they're plankton. If you've ever taken any sort of marine biology class or biology class in general, you know that these guys are at the absolute bottom of the food chain, but make the rest of oceanic life possible. So, um, not all, uh, members of the subphylum tunicata, uh, can swim freely like this, but these guys can. And that's, I'll leave it at that. That's all I got. Okay, because we've got a big major fact, and it's really complicated. So put your thinking caps on, or at least your listening caps, because this might be the most complex major fact that I've done. You've done some pretty, like, stuff with electricity that's pretty complicated. But I usually go for, like, the dumb brain can understand, but it's still interesting. But this one's a complicated. So electricity is one of those things that dumb brains should be able to understand, but I, I still can't. So, you know, I don't know. Seems maybe it's hard brain. It's a hard, it's a, it's a tough brain kind of situation. I'm calling this major fact mass reproduction. So to preface this, your life cycle as a human being is that your parents get together and make you, there's one step and admittedly a good amount of work up for nine months, but there's one step. Uh, Dolly Olids, Dolly Olids, I said, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if people say that, but Dolly Olidas have both sexual and asexual generations. Yeah, you're so right that, that it's, it is Dolly Olids. Okay. So, uh, that's, that makes sense. Cause like, Asexual reproduction, you're essentially cloning yourself. So you need to like spice up the gene pool and make sure that you don't get genetic deterioration. And that's one way to do that by having a sexual generation every once in a while. But so in other words, if you were a Dolly Olid, your grandparents might be your parents and your parents are you. <laughs> And as complicated as that sentence is, it's a it's less complicated than what is actually the case. So here we go. The sexual generation of a Dolyolid, they're called gonozooids or zooids, which have eight muscle bands in male or female gonads, which gonads are not to get blue, they're organs needed for sexual reproduction. So they've got the tools for a normal, what we would like be familiar with kind of reproduction, uh, at least in the, in like terms of laying eggs. So the female gonozooids lay eggs, which are fertilized by the males. When the eggs hatch, 
The hatchling looks slightly different with nine muscle bands and no gonads. So, so far, pretty normal, except for the baby is born without the ability to make babies, or so we think. Uh, They also have two stalks growing out of their dorsal and ventral sides, which is the top and the bottom, respectively. Asexual generations, this this new baby, they're called nurses. So we're going to call them nurses. So far, how how are what is how you doing? Um, I'm just thinking of the Dolly Holiday with Mary. So I'm, <laughs> um, <coughs> I'm following. Okay, so they 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 reproduce by budding. So budding is when like a piece of you grows and falls off to create a new individual. So it's like it's a common form of asexual reproduction. Where, like, you just flick off a piece of you, and it makes a new one. So the buds are produced out of the nurse's ventral stalk. So that's the stalk on the bottom. And here's the first weird part. They need to grow and develop on the dorsal stalk, which is on the top. So they come out of the bottom, and they got to go to the top. How? Uh, so the buds transfer from one stock to the other while staying attached to the body by hitching a ride on special moving cells called forocytes, which look like little amoeba. So the, it's attached to the cell that moves along the body to the top. Already pretty That's major. really weird. So as buds develop... On the dorsal stalk, on the top now, they develop their own dorsal stalk, which they use to remain attached to the original. So, like, imagine you're growing on a hat, then you grow your own hat, and the hats are connected. I'm growing? <laughs> what? So, they, they grow their own dorsal stalk, which they are, which is what connects them to their original dorsal stalk. So, their one part of their body is... is <clears throat> is taking the the gondola cell over to the other side, but they're still attached to the original side. So they kind of form this like, ring. no, 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 no. So they, so they, so you, you just climb from the butt to the hat Well, you don't climb. You take the gondola cell. You're growing on the hat. Then from the hat, your own hat grows and the, the, the dorsal hats are connected. So there's no ring. The, the, you're not still attached to the original side. It's like, uh, let's say you grabbed me by the shoulder and I grew an arm and held your hand with it. And still connected. This is horrifying. <laughs> uh, is this so a, this is a Salvador Dali painting. So they develop uh, spoon shaped bodies so they like um, normally it's a barrel shape. The, the the nurse is a barrel. The parents were barrels. This one, like the one side is so much larger than the other. It's a, it's like a con concave spoon shape. Uh, so the stock gets longer and longer. The original stock gets longer and longer with more and more spoon children. They are still asexual, though. These are all asexual. 
The nurse is asexual, and the spoon children, which are growing on the nurse's stock, are also asexual. So we've got two generations of asexual Dolly-holidays. So um, then the forocyte cells, which are the cells that move, the carrier cells, uh, grow a second batch of buds. And then these are different from the first generation of buds. They are barrel-shaped, like the nurse, and they attach to the nurse's stock by their ventral stock, their bottom stock, instead of their dorsal stock. So the their brother, older brothers, the pr- pr- previous generation, is attached by their hats. These are attached by their butts. So this second generation of stock children are called forozoids. And they are still asexual. So you've got three generations now of asexual Deloidea. There's one big nurse. And on the nurse's hat are a bunch of other... The first generation that are all stuck to her by by their head. Yes. And now the second generation is... Spawning from the bottom, connected by their bottoms. No, they're spawning from the top, connected by their bottoms. Everything's on the one top, the top hat. Oh, they don't go to the dorsal or the no the the forozoids grow them. The forozoids that move to the hat grow new ones. The the carrier cells, the gondolas. Oh, the forocytes, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, meanwhile, we have a full-on polymorphic colony going on at this point. So, with the nurse on one end and a stalk of a bunch of buds coming off of it, since the buds are doing a lot of feeding, the spoons specifically, that's their job, is to feed, the nurse loses its need to feed, so it loses its organs, and mainly acts as a locomotive power for the colony. So now this colony of spoons with these this new generation growing on it is doing all the feeding. So now the stock is full. The hat is full. So the forocytes begin to plant more buds on the second generation ventral stock which is still attached to the colony. So remember how the second generation, their hat, or the second generation's um, bottom is attached? They, they start to grow their own buds. Um, so the, so fi- this third generation, which is growing on the second generation of buds, uh, planted between the second generation and the original stock, these are sexual gonozoids. That's what they're called. Remember, we talked about that was at the beginning. That's what the parents were, gonozoids. So we've gone three genera- four generations, if you count the nurse, and we've gotten back to sexual reproducing animals. So when the second generation carrier for forozoids mature, the ones that moved, they... Or, or not the their carrier carrier cells not not carrier cells, foro means carrier, 
the second generation, they break off the gonozoids with their gonozoid buds. So they break off the original stock with the new buds that can sexually reproduce. When all of the carriers leave the colony, the nurse and all of the asexual spoons die. So they've launched this carrier generation and the sexual reproducing generation, which are attached to each other, and they disperse. Then when the gonozoids reach maturity, they detach from the carriers, and then the carriers die. The gonozoids lay eggs, fertilize them, and repeat, repeat this whole process. So, so, it's like a, the, so it's like a space shuttle. Yeah, yeah. So three generations live and die. Why the need for the first generation? The 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 nurse or no, the the nurse the nurse gets gets them around. You have the first generation spoons. They eat. They sustain the colony. Oh. <clears throat> they exist to eat. The second generation spawns the third generation. Yes. Second generation spawns and carries the third generation. So got it. And so you think like, why don't they just sexually reproduce? Uh, I don't know, but like this process starting with one individual produces tens of thousands of dollyolids, which is a growth rate that's kind of unheard of in most animals. But most of them die. Most of them die, the, but like still process. thousands of them are created that can reproduce sexually. And you disperse them because you have these carrier things that just disperse so that you can potentially uh, shake up the, gen the genes. Yeah, I don't remember this episode of SpongeBob. That would have been really weird. <laughs> but just think about like... Your dad was you, your grandfather was you, your grandfather's father was you, then your grandfather's father's father's father was not you. That's your parent. Wait, but buds aren't clones. They're they're um children. No, yeah. They're right. technically not clones because yeah, technically uh it, genetically very similar because you you're you're only you only have one set of genes. You're not mixing them with others, but they're not the same because one generation is a spoon. One generation does something like they all have different roles. So that's one crazy. generation is a spoon. One generation likes TikTok. <laughs> yeah, they're not the same. We are not the same. Yeah. <laughs> So the, like this is the first time I've I heard of the concept of uh, sexual and asexual generations in a cycle. Like your life cycle isn't just like and in like in stars. Like you go through metamorphosis or whatever. This life cycle is like multi generational, a multi generational process. And some generations exist just to eat. Mm -hmm. Some generations exist just to mate. Some generations exist just to be on the shoulders of giants. Technically, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Technically, like, they're not 
the first two are not generations. Like the nurse makes one and then the other. And then the the second generation makes a new, makes their own. So it's more like the first and second are brothers and sisters. But oh, not. I see. Be- there are two uh, waves of the same generation. Right. Yeah. What if you think so, of I mean, a generation these, as time? They really do function like cells. They look like cells and they function like cells because you have cells that like, you know, cells. Um, what is the word for cell when cells divide? But yeah, there you go. Um, and, the, and some of those cells are have very specific functions to support the other cells that don't really have their own thing going on. Yeah, when you get down into the microbiome, there's it's weird like that. It's like, what is this? I I would hate to be a taxonomist the first time they discovered. You know what they used? To, do you know what the first like for microbiology? The first term for it was it's a, the best. I love it. The miasma. No, my uh, animalcules. Oh, that is pretty good. Right. Yeah. That sounds like the funnest toy from the 90s I can think of. <laughs> but that's what uh, the first time like a guy looked into, I forget who it was. I wish I remembered. Um, the first guy to look through a microscope and see like, oh, there's little things moving around down there. Those are like tiny animals. They're like animal molecules. Animolecules. Great. And then they high fived each other for three days straight. <laughs> Yeah. I just love the idea of like, look at all these little amoeba. Look at those tiny animals. <laughs> but in I like, this case, I'm, they are. It, it is interesting that they looked at it and they said, yes, this is still an animal. <laughs> That's basically a tiny cow. Interesting. But yeah, I do imagine this as being kind of like the space shuttle. Like, okay, we got to get this thing into space. Everything else just falls off by the wayside. <laughs> ah, discover, uh, the word was invented by 17th century Dutch scientist Antony van Leeuwenhoek. Sure. Who was a genius. Leeuwenhoek. Ah, I should have known. W is a V. Animolecules, bro. Um... All right, yeah, that's uh, that is the Dolly Olida plankton. You got anything else? That's all I got. All right, well, kudos to you for uh, uh, even attempting to tackle this convoluted life cycle. Um, for you out there in Podcastia, stand on the shoulders of giants. Show some love to the nurses in your life and let the young, younger generations grow on you like the Dolly Ali Otzen free here in life, death, and taxonomy. <laughs>
Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening and engaging. Life, Death, and Taxonomy is my favorite in the world podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That was a nice message and a funny, funny pun at the end. Not really a pun. Play on words. I actually rewrote the whole thing while we were talking because I was like, oh, eh, I didn't really have anything for the ending.